We've already spoken on this show about how monopolists have caused fascism and that the system of the last 40 years has led to a rise in fascism that can't be explained by blaming everything all on Donald Trump. To take it a step further, fascism is caused by income inequality, and it's even worse than you thought. Nick Hanauer, our favorite plutocrat, has gotten involved in this. He's the one who warned us earlier that plutocrats must beware the pitchforks. He has an entire TED talk on this. I have a good sense a good intuition about what will happen in the future. And I think that that intuition about the future is the essence of good entrepreneurship. So what do I see in our future today, you ask? I see pitchforks, as in angry mobs with pitchforks. Because while people like us plutocrats are living beyond the dreams of avarice, the other 99% of our fellow citizens are falling farther and farther behind. And a new RAND study came out that paints a picture that even surprised him. But before we dive into that, we want to point out a little slip-up that happened on Monday with Kamala Harris, where she may have let slip the ultimate plan of the Democratic Party. Leave it to Fox News to alert us to this gaffe. Kamala Harris accidentally touts plans under a Harris administration during virtual roundtable. Joe better hire a food taster, one critic advised the former VP. Kamala Harris, Joe Biden's running mate in the 2020 election, raised eyebrows on Monday evening after she accidentally touted economic plans under a Harris administration. Speaking during a virtual roundtable with small business owners in Arizona, Harris vowed that they will have an ally in the White House with the campaign's Build Back Better initiative. However, the California senator appeared to briefly suggest that she was at the top of the Democratic ticket. A Harris administration, together with Joe Biden as the president of the United States, she said. She quickly clarified, the Biden-Harris administration will provide access to $100 billion in low-interest loans and investments from minority business owners. Here's a tweet by the Daily Caller. A Harris administration together with Joe Biden? Freudian slip? Many on social media questioned whether Harris's misstatement was a Freudian slip as critics of the Biden candidacy insist that former VP is a placeholder for the liberal senator. This is where I have to take exception to Fox coverage. They're trying to paint Kamala and Joe as liberal leftists. We've argued here that Trump actually runs to their left on many economic issues and with regard to US imperialism. Joe better hire a food taster, Ricochet editor-in-chief John Gabriel quipped. Uh-oh, Kamala, you weren't supposed to say that part out loud, Daily Caller's Greg Price exclaimed. This is me talking. We had a whole show with Michael Moore saying this same thing out loud. He was talking to Democratic Party insiders who told him that they had a woman of color ready to go who was very smart. They called her a brainiac. And that the plan was that she would take over probably during Biden's first term. So this isn't merely a conspiracy theory. The Trump campaign quickly seized on Harris's gaffe with the Trump war room tweeting that Biden's running mate lets the truth slip. They have that part right, but the idea that Harris is anything like radically left is crazy. 
President Trump and his supporters have repeatedly attacked Joe Biden as being a Trojan horse for the radical left. That's not going to stick. Everybody knows that Joe Biden is not radically left. And Kamala, in most ways, leans at least as far to the right as Joe does. I'm nervous that if conservatives do their homework and figure out what Kamala is all about, they'll embrace her policies. But the part they get right and that all of us should realize is that we're not voting for Joe Biden. We're voting for Kamala Harris if we vote for Joe Biden. And I, for one, refuse to vote for either of them. And now on to the new RAND study. We were shocked. RAND study uncovers massive income shift to the top 1%. The median worker should be making as much as $102,000 annually if some $2.5 trillion wasn't being reverse distributed every year away from the working class. This article is by Rick Wartzman. Just how far has the working class been left behind by the winner-take-all economy? A new analysis by the Rand Corporation examines what rising inequality has cost Americans in lost income, and the results are stunning. A full-time worker whose taxable income is at the median, with half the population making more and half making less, now pulls in about $50,000 a year. Yet, had the fruits of the nation's economic output been shared over the past 40 years as broadly as they were from the end of World War II until the early 1970s, that worker would instead be making $92,000 to $102,000 a year. The exact figures vary slightly depending on how inflation is calculated. So it's roughly a double. The findings, which land amid a global pandemic, help to illuminate the paradoxes of an economy in which so-called essential workers are struggling to make ends meet while the rich keep getting richer. We were shocked by the numbers, says Nick Hanauer, a venture capitalist who came up with the idea for the research, along with David Rolfe, founder of the Local 775 of the Service Employees International Union and president of the Fair Work Center in Seattle. It explains almost everything. It explains why people are so pissed off. It explains why they are so economically precarious. The two and a half trillion dollar theft. Notably, it isn't just those in the middle who've been hit. Rand found that full-time prime age workers in the 25th percentile of the US income distribution would be making $61,000 instead of $33,000 had everyone's earnings from 1975 to 2018 expanded roughly in line with gross domestic product as they did during the 1950s and 60s. Workers in the 75th percentile would be at $126,000 instead of $81,000. Remarkably, even those in the 90th percentile would be better off than they are now if economic growth had been shared as it was in the post-war era they'd be making $168,000 rather than $133,000. Tally it all up, according to Rand, and the bottom 90% of American workers would be bringing home an additional $2.5 trillion in total annual income if economic gains were as equitably divided as they'd been in the past, leading Rolf to dub the phenomenon the $2.5 trillion theft. From the standpoint of people who have worked hard and played by the rules and yet are participating far less in economic growth than Americans did a generation ago, he says, whether you call it reverse distribution or theft, it demands to be called something. 
The RAND data also make clear who the winners from inequality are, those in the top 1%. Of course, they'd be in a less advantageous position if the economic pie had been divvied up since the mid-1970s like it was previously. If that were the case, RAND says, yearly income for the average 1%er would fall from about $1.2 million to $549,000. I really feel sorry for those guys that would have to make only $549,000. Although he himself is a self-described zillionaire, Hanauer is an outspoken critic of the gulf between the rich and everyone else. He thinks and writes and agitates on these issues all the time. But even he was surprised by Rand's findings. In fact, he says that before the report was completed, he had done his own back-of-the-envelope math and wound up underestimating by a good 40% the degree to which workers' incomes have failed to keep pace with GDP. It's startling, he says. Rand crunched the data in all sorts of ways, and the basic pattern held true for part-time workers, entire families, men and women, blacks and whites, urban dwellers and rural residents, and those with high school degrees and those with college diplomas. There is no way of slicing the numbers where people come out ahead, says Carter Price, a senior mathematician at RAND, who co-authored the study with his colleague Catherine Edwards, an economist. I was surprised by the magnitude of this. Price acknowledges that one weakness in the model is that it doesn't reflect people's total compensation, including the value of employer-provided health benefits. It also does not include monies received from government transfer programs such as Social Security. It does count rental income, dividends, and interest. And it takes into account capital gains, but due to certain technical constraints, only for those above the 90th percentile. However, because these proceeds from the sale of property or an investment amount to just 2% of income for the bottom 99% of households, the authors say this wrinkle doesn't meaningfully change any of their conclusions. Indeed, for the vast majority of Americans, what they earn at work through hourly wages or a salary represents practically all of their income, and that is fully captured in the study. The right shop for the research. It was no accident that the Fair Work Center commissioned RAND to conduct rigorous research on the topic. Some of them, such as the Economic Policy Institute and the Center for American Progress, are identified as liberal. But it's still hilarious that anyone thinks of Center for American Progress as left. It just goes to show you that liberal has never meant left. RAND is generally viewed as being among the least partisan shops out there, taken seriously by the right and the left, Hanauer notes. We wanted to do it in a way that would at least make it harder for the people who want to believe this is all just whining to dismiss the data, he says. The approach that Price and Edwards took marks a breakthrough. The Economic Policy Institute has created a tool that shows that had U.S. workers' wages over the past three decades kept up with increases in productivity, as they did in the three decades following World War II, someone making around $50,000 today would instead be making more than $70,000. But until now, nobody has teased out the bottom line effects to individuals and their families of how economic growth is being shared across the income spectrum thereby turning what can be an abstract concept into something much more tangible. I have not seen anything like this, says Ben Olinsky, the senior vice president of policy and strategy at the Center for American Progress, who got an advanced peek at the RAND study. 
It's quite dramatic. Where the blame lies. Price and Edwards didn't comment on what might be causing inequality, saying that additional work is needed in this area. But Hanauer and Rolf had no hesitation singling out culprits. They say the blame lies in large measure with decades of failed federal policy decisions, allowing the minimum wage to deteriorate, overtime coverage to dwindle, and the effectiveness of labor law to decline, undermining union power. They also cite a shift in corporate culture that has elevated the interests of shareholders over those of workers, an ethos that took root 50 years ago this week with the publication of an essay by University of Chicago economist Milton Friedman. This is me talking. If I were this writer, I also would have included here the Powell Memorandum. Many of these developments, Rolf points out, have been driven by the belief that an unfettered free market would generate wealth for everyone. Thanks to the RAND study, he says, we now have the proof that this theory was wrong. As the 2020 election nears, Olinsky says the report may well make it tougher to pit the poorest Americans against the middle class, as some politicians are wont to do, because it crystallizes that everybody outside of the top 1% has not fared well financially when compared with what would have been expected historically. This really is the entire country versus a very small number of people. Olinsky says. The other seismic political implication of the Rand Report is that any modest proposal to democratize prosperity is bound to seem inadequate. Given the gap that the study has brought to light, Rolf says anything but the boldest of actions will look like a drop in the ocean. Hanauer agrees. I want Joe Biden and Donald Trump to have to wrestle with this, he says, adding that they should look at their constituents in the eye and explain, Here's what I'm going to do to get you from the $50,000 you make today to the $100,000 you deserve. If you're not addressing the problem at that scale, Hanauer asserts, then you're not addressing the problem. You're just pretending. And with the massive economic devastation that has come out of the COVID crisis, if leaders don't do more than just pretend, the pitchforks that Nick Hanauer mentions are going to be real. Protesters recently installed a symbolic guillotine outside of Jeff Bezos' massive mansion. If enough people figure out that it's at least 90% of us who have been screwed in the last 50 years, those guillotines may stop being symbolic. 90% of us would be better off if we didn't have to deal with the income inequality that the 1% have foisted on all of us. I don't think the government is going to take the 1% aside and explain this to them. And I also don't believe that the people are ever going to be able to force the government to explain things to the oligarchs. The oligarchs have been in charge for a long time, and until the oligarchs stop being in charge, we're going to keep having the problem of them buying off our politicians. As long as there are oligarchs, the politicians will never serve us. So while it's good that we know where the politicians live, it's even better that we know where the oligarchs live.